Last year, I had the privilege to travel with a couple of our church members and members of our mission team over to Prague and then over to India, and we spent 12 days over there and really learned about a lot of what God had been doing amongst our Indian partners over there and seeing how revival was really breaking out and how uh, there was just churches being planted everywhere, and it caused us to lean into um, this idea of disciples making disciples and how these people were so effectively leading other people to Christ. And so one of the things that we learned was that with all the resources, all the energy, all the money, all the time, everything that we put into um, seeing people come to Christ and then seeing them proclaim that through water baptism, that in the United States of America it costs cost close to a million dollars per baptism. That's a lot of money that's put towards just seeing one person. Uh, baptize over in India it costs 66 cents uh, per baptism with all the resources effort and energy and they were seeing thousands and thousands of people in these churches and man that just rocked us and we started investigating what are you guys doing like what are you guys doing that's working so well and it was funny because when we were over there they were asking us questions like trying to learn from us and I'm like no 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 I, was, I made some really good friends with some uh, of the local pastors there and I'm still in contact with them so what are you guys doing and it always 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 just as Pastor Evan said, it always starts with prayer. And so we want to be people of prayer, and we want to be people who are putting ourselves in a position that is saying, God, we want what you want. God, we want to relinquish our desires, our will, and we want what you want. And so we want to ask you to temper our hearts, to mold our hearts, shape our hearts, to be aligned with your desires. And when we also pray, we're not only putting ourselves in a position for God to do that, but we're also humbling ourselves and saying, God, we need you. We desperately need you. And we're asking him to do something that we can't do because here's the thing. If we can do it in our own strength, then we don't need God. And God is not interested in us sharing in that glory because his glory is reserved for him and him alone. Amen, church? And so that means he's actually glorified when I'm dependent. He's actually glorified when I acknowledge my weakness. He's glorified when I understand my position that, man, I really need you, Lord. And so that's why we start with that foundation of prayer. And we want to see people in the Quad Cities come to faith in Christ. We've talked about this many times where we understand that living in the Quad Cities means that we are on this list of the top 100 most post-Christian cities and regions in the United States of America, and that the Quad City area is number 15 on that list. And that's pretty high on that list. We're actually number two in the Midwest behind Madison, Wisconsin as number one, and then the Quad Cities is number two in the Midwest of most post-Christian regions in the United States of America. And last week, I also shared another stat with you that even brings it a little closer to home, just kind of drills in a little closer helps to bring a, a little bit more of a zoomed-in view that in the Quad Cities area every year that over 5,200 people on average die. In the Quad Cities area, that's about the death rate in the Quad City region. And if you take those same statistics of the post-Christian group, what you would understand and see from those numbers is about 2,700 of that 5,200 enters into a Christless eternity. And to really drill it down and to zoom in even closer... That means about seven people a day in the Quad Cities is entering into a Christless eternity. So we have a job to do. Amen, church? We have a great commission that he's called us to fulfill. And we've all encountered people who don't believe that 
Jesus is the way. We all know people who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for our sins and that through faith in him we can be made new, forgiven, redeemed, bought back and made in a right standing with God and that we can enjoy him forever in eternity. There are many people who don't believe that, but it's really difficult when those people are close to us, right? Like, it's, we are aware, though, that there's seven people, you know, every day who pass away enter into Christless eternity. That can make us sad, but when we know people who are entering into a Christless eternity, man, the weight is even heavier because it could be a close family member or a close friend or even someone perhaps who once was a part of a church community, but for whatever reason, they've walked away from that. They've renounced trust in Christ, and maybe they're a part of that post-Christian collective. And so in the middle of this and knowing all this information, what is our role? I mean, we can live in the reality of it, but man, I want to do something about it. And I feel this responsibility, this charge to do something about it. What is our role? And then how do I interact with those people who don't know Jesus? How do I help prepare the ground to hopefully have them come to faith in Christ? What is my role? What should I be doing? How do I interact with those who do not believe? If you have your Bible this morning, go over to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to read over in Hebrews chapter 3, where the writer is writing to the Hebrew audience, writing to Jewish people and helping them understand um, actually this whole idea of Jesus being the promised Messiah and helping them understand that they can have faith and trust in Christ as our high priest. And so what, they, what the writer does in Hebrews is give them a lot of Jewish history that they would identify with and things that they would understand. And so uses, uh, the writer uses that in a lot of kind of uh, an analogy sense to help them understand the types and shadows of Christ and kind of uses the heroes of the Jewish tradition and one of those being Moses and so here in Hebrews chapter 3 the writer is really honing in on Moses and this idea of when the children of Israel were in Egyptian slavery and they were in captivity because they were slaves for 400 years you can read that in the book of Exodus and read all about that and so the writer is reminding them of that time and how the people responded because God delivered them God provided a way for them and was leading them into this promised land and he's using this as like a type and shadow of how God has saved us through Christ and he is leading us into his promise as well so Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 says this therefore Holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession who was faithful to him who appointed him just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. So he's helping them to see this type imagery here. And in verse 3, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, if you're a Jewish person and you're reading this or hearing this being read, this is a big deal. Because if you were a kid, you probably had like Moses action figures, you know? Like you, 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 you played, you know, parting the Red Sea with your little Moses action figure, you know? Like, like this is a big deal. This is your hero. This is your, your guy, you know? You got Abraham, you got Moses, you got Elijah. You had the whole set, 
as a kid, you know. And so you grew up hearing these stories. You knew all these different things that God had done through these great leaders that, man, you propped up on a pedestal. And now you're hearing there's somebody better than Moses and his name is Jesus. This is a big deal. Verse 5. Now, he's saying Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. And so this is uh, speaking as, as if God were himself speaking prophetically, saying this is the heart of those people. They didn't hear my voice. Even when they were wandering in the wilderness, I set them free from captivity. Moses led them. But man, they still didn't believe. They had this unbelieving heart. And it led them astray. Verse 12. So take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. And none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And so he's giving this imagery again, letting them see that the people, even though God had done all these great things for them, God had set them free from captivity. God had provided for them in the wilderness, even though they were in the wilderness because they chose to go their own way. They're out there making idols, worshiping false gods, doing all sorts of things. After God had delivered them, set them free from a lifestyle of slavery, I mean literally 400 years of slavery, this generation that got delivered was born into slavery. And that's all they knew. Slavery was their reality. It was all they knew. And they've been delivered from it. They've been free. And now they're hardening their hearts towards God. They're rebelling in the wilderness. This does not compute. You would think after all the good things God had done for them that they would respond in a way where they would want to serve him, where they would want to honor him and glorify him and be thankful and be grateful. But you see the actual opposite begin to happen. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't, don't do this. Don't harden your hearts towards Christ because Christ has set you free just as Moses was used to set the children of Israel free. Now don't let this hardness in your heart because sin deceives you because all of a sudden now you get drawn into this idea of exalting your own ways and wanting and pursuing your own things. He's saying don't allow this to happen. Be on watch for that. And so he said don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that those who were unable to enter, it was because of their unbelief. 
That's why they weren't able to enter. And so he's helping them understand the pathway to salvation, the pathway to true freedom, the pathway to true right standing with God is through Christ. And it's Christ alone who does this. And he's saying, this Christ that I'm preaching to you, this Jesus, this is what I'm writing you about. He's greater than Moses. But yet don't let yourselves still fall into those human tendencies just like the people did in the wilderness after God used Moses to help lead them into freedom. So he's trying to connect because these people chose rebellion against God. Actually, if you read the story in Exodus, it wasn't much longer after God had miraculously delivered them out of not only Egypt's hand, but actually had conquered Pharaoh's army through helping them walk on dry ground across the Red Sea when it parted. Like, you guys remember, you know, the movie Old School with Charlton Heston? You know, let my people go. You know, you remember all of this? All the plagues, and they walked across... And then, man, God destroyed Pharaoh's army because they, the, the, all those guys drowned as the, as the sea. They tried to cross it, and, and the waters came back over as God's people walked away in freedom. It wasn't much longer after that that they started to complain and grumble against Moses. And they started saying, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back. They wanted to submit themselves back again to slavery because Why? They said, because we were hungry. My, my, I got a rumbly in my tumbly. And they were willing to go back into slavery over it. The very thing God had delivered them from. The very thing that God had raised up Moses and, 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 and helped to lead them into this miraculous freedom. They were wanting to go back because they said, well, at least our, 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 our bellies were full Back when we were slaves, has God just let us out here to die? You see, they still wanted to go back. And the writer of Hebrews saying, Christ is offering this free gift. Christ has, has made a way where there was no way. And now Christ has become the answer. And so don't harden your hearts towards this message of Christ. Don't harden your hearts towards this message of salvation like our ancestors did in the wilderness. Don't, don't deny God's free gift because you want what you want more. Because something seems more appealing over here. Because this is where true freedom lies. This is where true grace can be received. And it's, it's a free gift. And he's wanting to lead you and guide you into his promise. And into what he has in store for you. And trust that that's better. It, it's even better than what Moses did and, and, and how Moses led. Because we can all look like really judgmentally at that story in Exodus and go, well, those guys were dumb. I wouldn't have done that if I were there. No, you would have done that if you were there. Because all of us have done that. All of us have rebelled against God. All of us have rejected his good grace we've all been in a place in our lives where we're rebellious defiant living life according to our terms and our ways every one of us have done that that's why scripture is very clear in romans where the apostle paul writes that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god we've all been on the side of rebellion we've all been on the side of rejecting god's goodness we've all been on the side of being considered an enemy of god because that's what scripture says that man before we were in the family before we were adopted as sons and daughters and yay we love preaching about that talking about that before all of that before christ saved us in his glorious grace before he did that before the spirit drew us before any of those things happened before we heard and responded man we were enemies 
because at the right time Christ died for the ungodly that was you that was me and so we all were a part of this and so we have to recognize that because it tempers our hearts and our attitudes towards those who don't yet know Christ and so we have to understand that it is a hard and evil rebellious unbelieving heart that that rejects God's free gift of salvation it is a hardened heart because this gift is so good but man when my heart is hardened I reject that free gift and it is rebellious it is evil because God's grace is so good and for me to reject and say there's something better that is evil of me to do that it is evil of me to say there's something out there better that I want more and I think that I want that thing more than this free gift God is offering me or for me to deny that that free gift even exists or for me to somehow think that I know better than God all of that is from an evil heart it is an evil posture it is something in me that's hard towards God that I somehow think in my position that my own uh, ideas somehow can supersede God's grace, God's love, God's will. That's why, man, even in the way Jesus taught us to pray, we automatically have to exercise so much humility in our posture and so much dependence upon God in the way Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven, he's Father. He's, a, he's the authority over my life. He's, he's my Father. He's, he's the one who's in control. He's the one who's given me life. That Father who is holy, 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 who there's no other name that's greater. There's no one that could ever surpass him. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom, your, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven, right? This posture of humility is immediately required. And when I think that I somehow, my will is more important than his will, I think my kingdom and building up my kingdom the way I want it is more important than God's, that all of a sudden, man, I am in a desperate place. I'm in a place of evil, hard-heartedness and rebellion towards God. So here's what that means. It means that all of the issues of life, they flow out of our heart. That's what scripture says. Out of our heart flow all of the issues of life. And so at the core of us, our heart needs to be changed. This is prophesied about in Ezekiel chapter 36 where he talks about I'm going to take out the stony heart and I'm going to put in you a soft heart of flesh. This is God doing this. This is how powerful God is. He's saying I'm going to do something you couldn't do for yourself. I'm going to do something you didn't have the ability to do. You could try to chisel away at that hard heart but I'm just going to replace it. I'm going to take the old out and I'm going to make you a new creation. You see, this is what the gospel provides. This is what Jesus has done through his sacrifice. This is what he's done in the atonement. This is what he's done for you and for me and made available for us. And to reject that, man, that is evil. That is rebellious because we must understand that our heart must be softened. And so when it comes to unbelievers, an unbeliever's heart must be soften the spirit of god must draw them they must recognize their sin they must repent of that sin and the fear of god must take place in their life to where now i have a different view where i actually see what he says i take it seriously and i don't just listen to god or read god's word and take it passively or as just a 
mild suggestion that maybe I will, maybe I won't. No, I began to take God seriously. Something's changed in me. What's changed in me? I haven't just gotten good advice. The Bible is just not some sort of fortune cookie, you know, of the day thing (laughs) where you just get some good helpful tips for how to live a better life. That's not what the Bible is. The Bible is showing us our sin, showing us our need, showing us how we can't meet God's standard in our own strength and how Jesus did. He met God's standard and he took the place for you and for me to be able to take the punishment you and I deserved. And it's through faith and trust in him that we can have life and life abundantly. Amen. You see, that's the good news of the gospel that we've been grafted in, that we're now called sons and daughters who were once enemies. And we must understand that the heart must change. Over in Romans chapter 10, you can flip over there if you want. Um, Romans 10 verse 9 says this very famous scripture that we use a lot, but I want to help us to see this in context. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You see, this is our role. This isn't just a one-time thing. Oh, I said the thing. I checked the box. I believed. I, I, I said the prayer. No, that's not how this works. You see, as we continue to grow in Christ-likeness, as we continue to grow, man, our, our, our confession only strengthens. Our belief only strengthens. I should only believe more. I should only confess more. Amen? Because it becomes a part now of the story that has so compelled me that I can't help but share what Christ has done for me. And I'm not just sharing because someone wagged their finger at me on a Sunday morning and said, you should share your story. I can't help but share my story because of the radical thing God has done in me. In the same way that, man, when something awesome happens to you, you get a promotion at work, you get married, so you get, uh, you get, you get pregnant, you have a new baby, or you, ha- you buy a new house, or you go see a cool movie or eat at a new restaurant. Man, it's everywhere. You tell everybody about it. You tell them all the time. They're so excited. Oh, my gosh, have you guys eaten at this place yet? Oh, my gosh, it's so great. It was totally worth the wait. Oh, wow. Have you guys seen that new movie? Whoa, it just blew me away. All the special effects, all the story. Wow. Oh, I want you guys to see my house. Oh, have you seen the baby? Have you seen the baby? Have you seen? You got to see the baby, right? Over and over and over again, right? And we we love that. We think that that's just, man, it's, it's, it's great. We tell everybody. No one has to say you know, you really need to go tell people that you had a baby and let them see it because it's pretty darn cute. You really need to show your baby off. And if you don't, oh man, hmm, you're wrong for that. No one has to tell you that. You go out and you do these things. Nobody has to coach you on it. Why? Because you're naturally excited about it. There's something in you that compels you. To tell people things, whether they want to hear it or know it or not. That's like story of my life. I tell people things they don't even want to know all the time. (laughs) 
And I use many words to tell them those things. And I, I get excited about things. I'll talk about it. And, and, and I love that no one has to tell me to do that. So if I really understand what Christ has done, if I really understand, man, my rebellion, my hard-heartedness, my sin, if I really understand how great and glorious this free gift is that he's given me, if I really understand and embrace the gospel, I can't help but share it just like Jeremiah said. It's like this word I have from God. I tried to not share it, but I can't help it. It was like a fire in my bones. I have to share this. There's something in me. And so it's part of this story of God's glory in my life. And it is God who changes the heart of the person. It is our role to represent what a heart transformed by Christ looks like and share our story. Because when we remember the gospel, it changes us. It keeps us anchored, just as I shared last week. It keeps us focused on what really matters. And when I'm anchored in the gospel, it not only helps me remember my story, but it helps me to exercise a great degree of patience with those who don't yet know Christ. It helps temper my grace and patience because I remember man I sure am glad God was patient with me and still is so when unbelievers act like unbelievers don't freak out it's how they act when unbelieving people talk like unbelieving people don't go how dare you no that's, that's how people who haven't been transformed when, even when they criticize God, even when they have questions that may offend you at the line of questioning, don't respond in kind with your own offendedness. No, remember, you too were once in that same spot where you were rebellious towards him, where you rejected him, where you were an enemy. And how did he treat you in that time? Yeah, it, it helps me to understand how I need to temper my heart and my relationship with unbelievers. So what's our role then? What is our role with unbelievers? I'm going to give you a few things. I'm going to go through these. I want you can take screenshots of them, write them down, whatever. And I hope that this helps you in interacting with unbelievers, especially maybe if you have unbelieving uh, family members or people who are really close to you. And you're like, what, what do I do, man? What's my role? And, and, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but it's just some things that I think will help us to temper our heart and to be more effective as representatives of Christ and sharing our story. Number one, man. Don't avoid the reality of eternity. Don't be afraid to talk about eternity because eternity matters a whole lot because time ceases to exist there. And so we would say it's going to be a really, really long time. No, it's just going to be no time at all. <laughs> eternity is eternity. Don't be afraid of that because, listen, Christ is the Savior and he's the judge. We shouldn't back off away from that or be scared of that because it may be an unpopular thing to share you see he's going to he's going to judge sin and he's going to judge our eternal position and as it, this must be a priority to us as ambassadors for christ so don't shy away from sharing the reality of the concern of someone's eternal well-being don't beat them up over it don't guilt trip them that's not what i'm saying i'm not saying just to you know to, uh, come at them with and, and hit them over the head you know don't do that but don't guilt trip them but we should have our concern motivate us because when we think about seven people per day in the Quad Cities entering into a Christless eternity, that should motivate us. Amen? So we should be concerned because that eternal position of that person, man, that should matter a lot to us. Seven people a day are entering into a Christless eternity. 
in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our region where we call home in these quad cities. That should impact us. Second thing that I would exhort you to do is don't stop crying. Keep a tender heart towards those who don't know Christ. Sometimes it's weary, right? When you know people and care about people who don't know Christ and you've cried a lot of tears over them. I would encourage you to don't stop crying. In other words, don't allow your own heart to get hardened towards that motivation. Don't get to a place where you stop caring because you began to get bitter towards people who have rejected Christ. Instead, allow those tears to become tears of intercession where you begin to either pray for that person, pray for their heart, pray for those who are around them, influencers. Don't ever allow your heart to get hardened towards those who don't know Christ because they may try to hurt you because of your love for Christ, your commitment to Christ. They may try to criticize you because of that, and it's easy for us to want to fight back, especially if it's someone that's close to us, like a spouse. It's something in us that wants to just kind of push back, right? But can I encourage you that, man, don't get hardened towards them. Remember, when people treat you that way, they're acting like someone who is at war with God. It's not flesh and blood that we wrestle against, church. So like scripture says very clearly, this isn't a flesh and blood thing. No, 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 no. It's principalities and powers, and these people have been deceived, and they are believing the lie, and they are believing and exalting their way above God's way. And so when people act rebellious towards your message, remember that they also hated and persecuted Christ and share in those sufferings with Christ and keep loving people right where they're at because that's what Christ did when he was on the cross and people were hurling insults at him. What did he say in his last moments? He said, Father, forgive them, right? Because they don't know what they're doing. Isn't that what Christ did? Wasn't that his position? That's tough, man, but you can't do that without the Holy Spirit and that agape love of God, that unconditional God kind of love on the inside of you. You can't do that without Christ. You can't do that in your own strength because none of us are that great. But your tears are a good thing. The Apostle Paul felt this way. Remember he wrote the letter to the Romans. He wrote that to a Jewish and Greek Christian audience. And they were kind of at odds with each other, the Christian Jews and the Christian Greeks. And they were kind of butting heads over some things. So Paul wrote this wonderful masterpiece of a presentation of the gospel and articulation of the gospel to both camps and help them to understand what actually um, this whole thing looks like. And he said something very interesting in Romans, um, let's see, chapter 9, when he's addressing his love for his Jewish brethren, he said this in verse 2. He said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Ooh, that's kind of extreme. It's a really harsh thing to say. But what is he saying? He's saying, if I could swap places with my Jewish brothers who are rejecting Christ, I would. If, if I could have them, I would, I, would, I would want them to see Christ. That's how, that's how much I want them to receive the message of Christ. That's how much I want them to respond. That if I could, I, I, it hurts my heart so much to the extreme that I would be willing to swap places with them. You see, don't, don't stop crying over those who aren't saved. The Apostle Paul was very moved by his own brothers who did not know Christ and rejected Christ, the Jewish people who rejected Christ. The next thing is to keep planting and watering, but to trust God for the heart change. 
You and I have the position of being planters and waterers. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians when he talks about this idea, it doesn't matter who baptized you. It doesn't matter whose baptism or whose teaching that you were listening to. Some came to Christ through Apollo. Some came to Christ through Paul's teaching. And so who are these guys? They're just servants. He said, neither one of us are anything. He said, actually, some plant, some water, and God at the end of the day is the one who causes the change. He's the one who brings the increase. But yet it's our responsibility to be faithful as stewards and as people that he's gifted and equipped and called and commissioned to be faithful stewards to plant and to water. So always be planting and watering because how we plant and water matters. Because we must be consistent in our love. We must be consistent in our patience, our concern, our trust in Christ. That's why we're going out on a prayer walk this afternoon. Not because we're like, hmm, wonder what fun thing we could do today, <laughs> you know? No, we just didn't sit around coming up with ideas because we have nothing to do. Of course we have things to do. Of course you're busy. But we're saying let's pray together because we believe this matters a whole lot. And this is one of the ways we're going to be planting and watering. Because you don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. You don't know who you're going to see. You don't know what house you're going to see that the Holy Spirit draws your attention to or what person you may interact with or what God may, may make you aware of that you weren't aware of before. And now all of a sudden it doesn't just become a one-off prayer walk day. God does something in you that may spiral into something that, that gives you a next step. So let's keep planting. Let's keep watering but trusting God for the heart change. So don't think that your efforts are what God is depending on to change the heart. We get to be a part of this, amen? He doesn't need us. God doesn't need you and I. We get to be a part, why? Because he invites us in. He invites us to be a part. And he equips us and gives us gifts for his glory. And it's all under him and it's all for him. And so remember that God, God is not looking at us to try to save the world, no. He is the one who brings the increase, but we are called to plant and water. Recognize that it's okay to back off and give others space. This is a big one, especially for some of you that are more aggressive personalities. Because some of you who have more aggressive personalities, and maybe you just have this deep passion and conviction, and you're really bold with your words. You love unsaved people so much that you want to see them come to Christ. And sometimes in your zeal, you can actually push people away unintentionally. Because your zeal is a good thing. I, I love boisterous, zealous, courageous, bold people. But at the same time, we need to recognize what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and them. And so pray for them. It's okay to give other people space. Listen, you know, listen to people. Be good listeners. Don't feel like you always have to preach at people. Be a good listener. Be yourself and don't be overbearing. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you with that if you're that stronger personality because your conviction is good. Your, 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 your prayer is good, man. You're, but keep living your life in front of them. Keep showing them Jesus. You're not the one maybe who's even going to be able to lead them to Christ. Maybe you're, you're just planting and watering in the background. Maybe someone else gets to share the gospel with them in a way where they just get it all of a sudden. And it's not that person who gets the glory because it's still no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. It's still the Spirit who gets the glory. It's still God who gets the glory. Amen? And so it's not about who gets the credit because it all the credit goes to God. It's all for him. It's all unto him. And so we can't change the heart. That's okay. Recognize it's okay to back off and give space. Keep the relational door open with unbelievers. And be patient as you pray and are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it, 
it, it, it just takes a, a, a lot of time and, and, it, and it's all in God's perfect timing. We're praying for God's will to be done. We're praying for this person's blind eyes to be open, for their hard hearts to be softened. We're planting and watering, but man, here's what we have to do, church. We have to be available. We have to be willing. Amen? We have to be willing to go, yeah, I don't care how hot it is. I'm going to go pray because I believe prayer is where it all starts. I want to see our church show up today and and, and pray because this isn't just a little event that we're doing. No, this is going to become a part of the ethos of our church from this moment on. This is actually a launch point for us into future prayer walks in all of these various cities and towns and villages all throughout this region that God has called us and planted us in your neighborhoods where you live, where your small group is, where your place of work is, where we're going to pray and we're going to seek God's will, seek his direction. Because we don't have some great strategy that's man-made. No, 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 we're saying, God, we want what you want. And here's our big idea for today. Every person's story matters because God uses it for his glory. Every person's story matters. And here's the beautiful thing that's going to come out of this. Your story, your family's story, that person who was lost that came to faith in Christ, their story. Because we all have a story of that time where God got a hold of our heart. And um, our eyes were open and we saw him in a way we never saw before. A reality. Maybe even you grew up with like Sunday school Jesus, but you didn't really know Jesus. You just knew a lot about him. And maybe something happened in you that just radically impacted your life where the Holy Spirit just made the gospel alive to you. And it caused you just to weep over your sin, caused you to reach and trust Christ, to be anchored in him. And now you didn't know about him, you knew him and you had a radical transformation you were had a radical encounter man that's a story for God's glory and every one of us who know Christ in some way shape or form we have a story to tell and I once was lost but now I'm found amen I once was blind but now I see we all have that story and maybe you're here today and 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 you don't have that story maybe you're here and you're seeking Maybe you're here and you're lost. Maybe you're watching online and maybe you're lost. Because God doesn't look at people through this lens of good guys and bad guys. He looks at it as those who are saved, those who are found, those who have come into the family, and those who are lost. And maybe today is the day of your salvation. Maybe today is the day where God pierces through all the noise and reaches through and grabs a hold of your heart. What do you need to do? You need to respond. You need to respond. You're sensing just something drawing you. That's the Holy Spirit. Something that's kind of, you feel like a tug almost. That's the Holy Spirit of God. It's not me. It's not some compelling message that was so eloquently delivered and crafted. No, no, no. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God that's doing what no man can do, no matter how great of a speaker they are, no matter how convincing or compelling they are, no matter how how good they are our best efforts fall flat. It's the Spirit of God who brings the heart change. Amen? So respond to that message today. If you want to respond to the gospel, I'm going to invite our prayer team. You guys want to go ahead and come up here? We'd love just to pray with you, pray for you. And if you would let them know, man, I responded to the gospel today. Here's what we want to do. We have a team of people, men and women, 
who are mentors who want to help you walk on this faith journey. They'll contact you today. They'll reach out to you today. They'll get a hold of you today. And they'll help maybe set up a, a coffee time with you or maybe just have a chat on the phone and be able to help you grow in your faith. And you'll have someone walk alongside you for that season just to help you learn more about God, help answer some questions about faith in Christ. We have that here. Pastor Evan has, has built and assembled a team of people and he's been pouring into those people and equipping those people to be able to do this. And so we have people ready to go. They want to reach out to you today. So if you have that, that, that drawing, will you just submit to that and trust in Christ? And for the rest of us here who already do have faith and trust in Christ, here's what I'd like to ask us to do. Before we go, let's just take a minute or two, all right? One or two minutes before we go. And I want us to take time and pray for that lost person that's on your mind. This whole time, if you're a believer in Christ, you've been thinking about someone. Could be a parent, could be a spouse, could be a child, could be a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, whatever it is. Whoever that person is you've been thinking about that you're like, yeah, man, I really wish this person could hear that message. Can we spend some time just praying and asking that God will move in their heart and surround them with people who love Jesus, who are sharing the gospel, and maybe if you're regularly around them, that you'll know when to speak, you'll know when to be silent, you'll know when to ask questions and trust that the Holy Spirit will give you the right questions to ask, to be a part of that planting and watering, to be that faithful light, to not get frustrated in the middle of living that Christ-centered life, that spirit-filled life, that you wouldn't get frustrated living that and get discouraged. Could you pray for that person today? Can we just take a few moments and collectively pray? And then if you want to come and have one of our team members pray with you, pray for you, they're available as well. So let's just take just a couple minutes and do that before we go today.